Aloha church, our world is in a crisis. And just as we're working through this pandemic issue with COVID-19, the ugliness of racism has reared its head once again. And I was reminded this week by a good friend, pastor friend of mine, about when to tackle certain issues. And here's what he says. As a church, we don't chase justice issues because they are never ending and would hopelessly splinter us in our focus. But justice is something about which we should care intently and practice within all of our intentional and missional efforts. We involve ourselves in the things that God places before us that profoundly affect our people and about which we have a call by God to address. And so since we're dealing with racism all over the United States, I think it's appropriate that we address racism and what the Bible says about it. So just recently, police had in custody a man by the name of George Floyd. One officer had his knee on him for nearly nine minutes and George Floyd, George Floyd died in police custody. Now, before I go any further, I want to make it clear that we love the men and women in blue. We love the police officers, the National Guard, our military who protect us. The unfortunate part is that the reality is a few have made some horrendous decisions. But as I watched this video, I was mortified. Uh, as I watched the video, I couldn't help but, but cringe. This was an act of justice, and Jesus... And his bride, us, the church, we are against injustice. We are for justice. You know, I can't even begin to fathom what it must be like to be an African-American living in our day and age. I can't fathom what it'd be like to be um, a minority, speaking more of my experiences on, on the mainland. And I can't begin to fathom things that people go through because racism is still alive today. The reality is in all forms, racism still exists. Prejudices still exist. But let me say something about our church. I love our church. In the two years that we've been here, Kamiki Christian Church has been a church that is diverse, that is loving, and that is including of all cultures, all nationalities, men and women. It's a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And so I want to commend our church for being loving, for being caring, for just being um, the hands and feet and a great witness for Jesus. But there's two things I want us to just really think about from the start of this. The first one is this. Two action steps. The first one is this. Identify our prejudices. Identify our prejudices. That is the things that we prejudge people with. We look at them and we assume certain things. You could write that down. You could type that in as a reminder. But what are the prejudices that we have, that you have? The second action step is to inventory who our friends are. Who are our friends? Are they people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, believe like us? Are they kind of mirror images of us? Or are friends and those we spend time with a diverse group of people? I'm not saying one uh, is morally superior. What I'm saying is, is, is let's 
be intentional about building relationships with those that maybe think different than we do. Especially let's be intentional with building relationships with those who don't know Jesus as Savior. And and pray that God would bring them to a knowledge of who Jesus is. The state that our world is in today is not what God intended. God did not intend for racism. God did not intend for prejudice. This is not what God intended ever. Not for not 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 in the Old Testament. Not in the New Testament. This is not the character of God. In fact, uh, we read we we read in Psalm one thirty three one. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. And Ephesians 4, uh, verse, verse 3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so, what would God have for us today? What would God have for us this weekend as we talk about racism? I think we need to first go to Scripture and see what Scripture says about racism. And Real quick, before I go there, a quick side note. In Los Angeles, there's a museum called the Museum of Tolerance, the Simon Wiesenthal Museum of Tolerance, and uh, to remember the World War II victims and era. And, and, and when you walk into this museum, you have to choose which door you're going to go through. One door says, uh, not prejudice. Another door says, prejudice. So from the get-go, you have to make a decision that, okay, I'm not prejudiced. So you're going to go through that prejudice door. Or I, I am prejudiced. I'm going to go through that door. And if anybody tries to go through the door that says, I'm not prejudiced, they can't get in because it's locked. Think about that. And the point that the museum is making is that it's trying to confront racism. It's trying to confront prejudice. That, that not only does our nation have, but that we have in our hearts. So think about that again for a moment. What are the prejudices that, that we have in our hearts? Or, or what are the racist tendencies that we have in our hearts? And we think about it every single day. We make judgments about people. We look at someone and we make a judgment. They're wearing a certain thing, so we judge them. I, I do it. In, in, in the realm of higher education, someone tells me what school they went to, I'll have some um, judgments about them. I'll have some prejudices about them because um, I, I know the school's theological background. Um, then I'll assume that they believe this about a certain theological issue. They'll believe that about a certain political issue. They'll believe this about that. And I'll make these assumptions without even getting to know them. And what I've done is, is I've committed an act of prejudice against them. And they probably don't even know it. But what I've also done is I've built a barrier between me and that person. So instead of getting to know this person, instead of me getting to care for this person and love this person, I've built up a wall already and they may not even know it. But that's what prejudice is. It's having preconceived notions or opinions without really knowing people. May you and I be men and women who get to know people. Don't let the 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 negativity of our heart. Don't let the prejudice in our lives keep us from building relationships with people and keep us from getting to know who people really are. And you know what I've learned? That everyone has a story. Everybody. 
whether they're the minority in their culture, whether they're the majority in their culture, whether they're poor, whether they're rich, everyone has a story. And if we would take the time to get to know people's stories, if we would get to know, to take the time to get to know who people really are, that would change the world drastically. And you know who it starts with? It starts with us, the Church of Jesus Christ. The Church of Jesus Christ. We are the Bride of Christ, and we need to set the example of love and of peace and of reconciliation and of relationships. So let's be honest. It is easier for us to connect with people who are most like us. We love others who are more like us. Or, or to put it a little softer, I guess, it's easier to love others who are most like us. Did you know that church experts and church planting experts say it's easier to plant a church in a mono-ethnic community. For example, if we're in Germany, we're going to start a church for Germans. If we're in Italy, we're going to start a church for uh, Italians and so forth. Why? Because it's easier to start a church with people who think similarly, look similarly, act similarly. You, you get the point. So mono-ethnic churches are all over the United States and, and, and especially in the mainland. Mono-ethnic churches, one ethnic churches is very common. It's not everywhere, but it is very, very common. And have you ever asked yourself like the question, why do you hang out with the people that you do? And I, I would say because of affinity. Affinity, meaning if they're single and I'm single, we like to hang out. If they're uh, young marrieds and have kids, we like to hang out. If they're baby boomers, we like to hang out. Why? Because we have a lot in common. And that's not necessarily wrong. That's not wrong at all. But the challenge is, is for us to get outside of our comfort zone, to get outside of our normal routine and to build relationship with those who aren't like us, to help us understand other people's way of thinking. And then the ultimate hope would be that people would come to know who Jesus is. So what does this have to do with the Bible? A lot, a lot, <laughs> say a lot, put in the comment section, a lot. And by the way, a lot is two words, <laughs> a lot. All right, so the gospel began in Jerusalem. The gospel began in Jerusalem, and when it started, it was a mono-ethnic religion. It was Jewish people who accepted Jesus as their savior. One ethnicity, mono, one, one ethnicity. And it started in Jerusalem, but something happened because the gospel went from Jerusalem to Antioch. Say Antioch out loud. Say it again, Antioch. Say it again, Antioch. One more time, Antioch. Antioch was not a mono-ethnic community by any means. Antioch was a very diverse city in first century, in the, in the first century. It was a multi-ethnic city. It was 15 times larger than Jerusalem. And in, and in fact, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. You had, you, you had Rome, you had Alexandria, and then you had Antioch. It, it would be like the Chicago of, of its day. And in the city, you had Persians, you had Indians, you had Arabs, you had Chinese, you had Africans, you had Greeks, you had Jews, you had Romans, etc., etc. In, in Antioch, you had 15 different nationalities living in the city of Antioch. And the architect built a wall around the city to protect people inside the city. 
But remember, there were 15 nationalities living in Antioch. Say 15. 15 Antiochs. And can I tell you something? The history tells us they were not getting along. In fact, things were so volatile that any little discrepancy, there was going to be a huge, a huge massive imploding. There was going to be race riots and all of that. So you know what the architect of Antioch did? He built walls within the city. So you had 15 quadrants within the city there because they couldn't get along and they couldn't figure out how to live together. So Antioch had deep social economic troubles, entrenched classism, urban decay, and deep racism. But I love this. I love this. But it was in this multi-ethnic, pluralistic, globalized side a city that the gospel came. You, you, you hear that? This multi-ethnic, pluralistic society that this gospel came. Where people would have thought there's no way the gospel of Jesus would, would penetrate people. But the fact is, that's exactly what happened. People of different backgrounds, people of different ethnicities, people who had faith in Christ started reaching out and building relationships with these other nationalities. And for the first time, there was for the first time in history a real solution to the problem of race and class that Rome and all of its wisdom could not make happen. And in fact, one of the last Roman emperors, his name was Julian, he wanted to bring back the pagan religions, and he wanted to do so in full force, but he couldn't do it. Why? Because the Christians had stepped up. They were caring for others. They were loving others. They were meeting the needs of others, and they're sharing the message of Jesus to others. So when all these pagan gods tried to come in, it didn't happen. And in fact, archaeologists discovered one of the letters of this one of the last Roman, Roman emperors, Julian. And here's what he says in one of his personal letters. The Jews take care of the Jews. The Greeks take care of the Greeks. But Christians take care of everybody. May that be the story of you and I as followers of Jesus, that we would care enough for people that when we see them, that we would see a man or woman created in the image of God, that we would see them as somebody God desperately loves. May that be our heart. May that be our calling. And may we see people the way God sees them. And then let's see what happens. And let's see the positive change that happens in our community, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. So in the book of Acts, they had to come up with what were they going to call these, these followers of Jesus? Because um, for a while, you just had people who followed Jesus who were Jews, people who followed Jesus who were Samaritans, and people who followed Jesus who were uh, Gentiles, like Cornelius early on. But, but they didn't know, really know what to call them. And so in Acts chapter 11, we read this. Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Now get this, up until this point in the book of Acts, 
And we did an entire series on the book of Acts, and you could go on our website to uh, check out the series in the book of Acts, and you could uh, look at Acts 10, 11, and 12. But up until this point, the gospel was preached in ethnic lines, Jewish Christians. There we go. All right, Gentiles, Christians. Okay. And that was pretty much it. But what we're seeing here is now in Antioch, an emerging of all these different nationalities, all these different ethnicities coming to follow Jesus. And they're like, what do we call these groups of people? What do we call these people? And one pastor says this, you call them Christians. The name Christian was used to describe the first multi-ethnic church. It's not our common past that unites us. It's not our common culture that unites us. It's Jesus who unites us. And in the comment section, you can write, Jesus unites us. Go ahead and type it in. Jesus unites us. And like I said earlier, we here at KCC are such a diverse church, and I love it. I love the diversity in ethnicity. I love the diversity in ages. It is a beautiful thing. It's a great picture of the kingdom of God. And what I'm learning is that every culture has prejudices. Every culture has racism. But right now, I want us to focus on ourselves. What is in our heart? Because racism and prejudice, it's all about a heart issue. And maybe this week we need to really ask the Lord, help us with this heart issue I have. Help us with, with this hurt that I have. Help us with this pride that I have. Help us with this anger. Help us with this prejudice that I have because I want to honor you, Jesus. So take some time this week and even fast about it and ask God to heal your hurt and heal the darkness in your heart. So how did Jesus deal with otherness? Of all the things that Jesus did, John chapter 4, Jesus dealt with otherness in this is probably one of the most powerful passages. It's, it's, a, it's a passage I have, I have read many times, I've preached on many times, but there's one thing I, I read this week that I've never seen in all my years of doing ministry and all my years of reading the Bible. And uh, John chapter 4, you'll remember this part. The woman is at the well, a Samaritan woman. Now, you got to remember that you, you, they were going from uh, Judah to, 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 to Galilee, Judah in the south to Galilee in the north. Okay, but if you wanted to go make a straight line, you would have to pass through Samaria. Now, Samaria, they were mixed. So they were looked down upon by the Jews. In fact, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They were racist toward the Samaritans and they couldn't believe any good thing would happen from the Samaritans. So the Jews were totally racist toward the Samaritans. So what a lot of people would do is that they would go from the south take the long way around, cross the Jordan River twice just to bypass Samaria. So Jesus says, no, we're not doing that. We're going, we're going north and we're going to go right through Samaria. So they come to a, a, a town in Samaria and, and the woman's at the well drawing some water. And Jesus says to her, hey, you know, will you draw some water for me? And then she says, well, you don't have anything to draw with. And then Jesus says, if you knew who it was asking you for water, you'd ask him for living water. And she's like, whoa, living water. Uh, tell me more about this. Now, that's the first interaction between a Jew and a Samaritan in this biblical account. There's also another biblical account that's happening. And we don't know much about it, but John in the text wants us to know about it. The disciples went to get food in the town of Samaria. 
they in the time of, uh, of sidecar they, they went to go get food do you think that as they're buying food with from the samaritans who they don't like who they're racist against who who they don't want to be around that they're buying physical bread and they're saying oh i'd like that loaf of bread um, that's going to fill my stomach. But can I tell you about the bread of life, Jesus, who is the Messiah, who's right up there at the, uh, uh, who's right up there at, at the well? Do you think they were doing that? No, because when the disciples came back and they saw Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, they said, why is he talking to a Samaritan? That was racism. Why is he talking to this woman? And Jesus said to him, you have no idea. And you know what happened after that? God use this woman to go to the city to tell all the people of the city who didn't like her i met a man who told me everything i've done and this man is the messiah the one we've been waiting for come and hear him and the entire town came to hear jesus and know about the kingdom of god god used a samaritan woman who was living an immoral lifestyle who changed her life and 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 brought a whole tale unto Jesus. He didn't use, God didn't use the disciples. He didn't use the disciples. He used this woman because she was willing. The disciples were racist and they missed out on an opportunity to share the message of Jesus with, with others. Isn't, it, isn't that powerful? Let's not let prejudice in our heart. Let's get rid of prejudice in our heart. Let's get rid of racism in our heart. In our heart. Let's get rid of all of that stuff so we don't have any of that. You might remember the story of Peter and Cornelius. We read in Acts chapter 10, Jesus or Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Things are changing. And God wanted Peter to know that things were changing. And there's two things that we see here. First is the food laws. The food laws were fulfilled and ended when Christ rose from the grave. Secondly, uh, we, we read and find out in scripture is that Peter did not associate with, with the nations. The, the people that Peter did not associate with, that's the Gentiles and anybody who wasn't a Jew, are not to be considered unclean or common. God wanted Peter to know that all people were created in the image of God. All people are loved by God. So during this time when Peter gets this vision, Cornelius, who was actually a Roman commander in the Roman army, calls some troops together because he had a visit from an angel, brings Peter to his house, and Peter's at the house of Cornelius, this Roman commander who oppresses the Jews, keeps the Jews in line, and he says, I want to know more about Jesus. And Peter has a choice. Do I go into his house? Because I've never eaten with someone who wasn't a Jew before, what will people think? I'll be unclean. But he went in. He told Cornelius and his family about Jesus. And they were so in awe. And then a cool part happened. The Holy Spirit came down on the Gentiles, just like it did on the day of Pentecost. It was a beautiful moment. And Peter started connecting with Gentiles and eating with Gentiles. But then Peter also had a moment when he kind of had a moment where he took a step back. Where, where he knew what he should have been doing, but he didn't do it. He was in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul calls out 
the Apostle Peter. Here's what we read in Galatians. In Galatians uh, chapter 2, when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul says this, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for being certain, uh, for before certain men uh, came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Peter went back to his old ways for a period of time. He was afraid of what his colleagues would think. He was afraid of what other people would think. Have you and I ever done that? We know what's right, but we don't want people seeing us talk to a certain person. We don't want people seeing us talk to that type of person because of whatever reason. Have we ever fallen back into those old ways? God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to build relationships with all people. So as I wrap up, what do we do with all of this? This past week, I read a, a blog, uh, a guest blog post from a pastor, African-American pastor by the name uh, John Moten. And John is a pastor at Central Christian Church in Arizona, which is a, a uh, a church that's affiliated with the Restoration Movement, which we are, Christian churches, Churches of Christ. And, um, and he wrote, wrote this. He said, there's three things that we take during this time that we live in. And this applies to any nationality, I believe. He says, listen, learn, love. Write that in the comment section. Listen, learn, love. Listen, learn, love. He says, listen, take a moment to pause to actually listen to the why of those who are recipients of racism. Don't dismiss the narrative that makes you feel uncomfortable or uneasy. Then he says, learn. And this is huge. Ignorance is bliss, but it is dangerous. Not knowing, not understanding other cultures, not understanding other people's uh, background is catastrophic, he says. And then love. It is important that we pause and check our intent and our motives and, and our motives. Engaging conflict with love is not trying to correct or provoke. Engaging conflict is seeking first to understand. Seeking first to understand. Lean in and learn and live out the gospel of Jesus. Listen, learn, love, repeat. This is the last thing I want to do. Let's open up our palms. And what I want to do is I want to ask God to bring us healing. Healing for those who have been oppressed. Healing, uh, healing for those who have been hurt. Healing for those who have been damaged. Also healing for those who have racism or prejudice in your hearts. Wherever you are, in your, in, your, in, your, in your heart, lift it up to the Lord and say, Lord, here's where I am. Be honest with the Lord and ask him to bring you healing. Ask him to, to help uh, get rid of any negativity. But open up your palms as a way of receiving a blessing. Father, may you heal those who are hurt. May you heal the marginalized. Father, for those who have committed acts of racism, for those who are overtly prejudiced, God, help all of us become more like you. Help all of us focus on your son, Jesus. 
Help all of us see people the way you do. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit now. Fill our hearts. Fill our minds. Fill our soul. May our lives emulate the life of your son, Jesus, who lived and who died and who rose again. Amen.